City Church in Over the Rhine is cultivating the kind of family Jesus introduced to the world in the city of Cincinnati. We're glad you're choosing to listen to a sermon from our weekly service. We would love to meet you. Visit us on Instagram or at citychurchotr.com. Enjoy. Good morning. Like Chris said, my name is Caitlin Snyder. Um, Throughout my three decades of life, I have had the opportunity to travel far and wide. Um, But one of the most impactful trips I have ever been on was to the Democratic Republic of Congo in 2016. I'm sure all of you have been there too. Um, I was there because I spent the first five years of my career in international adoption. International adoption is complicated. It involves lots of different entities. You've got governmental and immigration laws, both local, federal, immigration, all the things. When it works well, it works really well, and kids are able to come from another country where they don't have families into the United States. But when it doesn't work well, it really doesn't work well. And what had happened in 2013, one month after I started my brand new big girl job in international adoption, is our largest country program had decided that the kids were not able to come home. So the the program had like, the kids had moved the whole way through the court system. They were legally adopted in Congo by U.S. families, and the Congolese government said no. That was in 2013. Two and a half years later, they finally said these kids could come home. So for two and a half years, hundreds of American families waited and prayed and cried and advocated and waited and prayed and cried and advocated. Some added to their families biologically, but mostly it was a lot of waiting. They watched birthdays and Christmases come and go. They persevered. And at the end of that, in the spring of 2016, when the Congolese government says, come and get your kiddos, we're lifting this prohibition, here's your exit letter. I jumped on a plane with a coworker. We flew to Congo. I was there for five days. And at the end of that, my coworker and I brought five little kiddos back to the US. We boarded the plane in Kinshasa. It was like a million and a half degrees. Um, We were scared we were going to miss our flight, but that's another story for another time. We landed in Paris, France, where there should be pictures up here. I'm, like, pushing this, uh, like, cart through. Um, I've got kiddos with me. The first time I've ever traveled with a child was actually this international trip. Uh, But we I know. Let me just tell you, changing diapers in airplane bathrooms is terrible. Uh, but I know you guys probably already know that if you're a parent, but so we have landed. So Kinshasa to Paris, Paris to Cincinnati, we land in CVG and we've got these complicated packets of immigration paperwork because these were Congolese kids who the second they set foot on U.S. soil, they become U.S. citizens. It's so complicated. And so we walk through immigration We walk through customs, and then we actually have to go back into this little glass room in immigration. They're checking all the documents. And then we walk back out. They say, you guys are good to go. And my coworker and I take these five kiddos through um, the 
doors of CVG. And so there's these glass windows. I know if you've flown into the Cincinnati airport, you know it very well. And this was like one of the holiest moments of my life. So much anticipation because these families had waited such a long time for these kiddos. They had paid a lot of money for this international adoption process. And so I'm holding these kids' hands, and I'm starting to cry, which it takes a lot for me to cry, not not a crier. And we walk through, and the kids are embraced by their families. And I imagine the conversations sounded something like this. I've waited a long time for you. You've come at a great cost. I love you. Welcome home. And it's a picture for me of the gospel that I hope that's the greeting that I'll receive when I get to heaven someday. That the Lord will look at me and he will say, Caitlin, I've waited a long time for you. You came at a great cost. I'm so proud of you. I love you. Welcome home. And it's that greeting, like I said, what I hope to be a life at the end of a life I've well lived, that keeps me persevering on the good days, the hard days, and the mundane days. Because we know that sometimes the mundane days are actually the hardest for us to persevere. Throughout this month, we've been talking through the book of James, um, and we have learned from lots of great speakers, it's been so fun to hear different voices up on stage, a lot about what faith does, that faith bears fruit, and that faith should shape, it must shape the way we are to live, that faith shapes the way we suffer, Rob taught us from James 1, that faith shapes the way we neighbor, Megan taught us from James 2, that faith shapes how we are to speak, thank you, Michelle, she did a great job, that faith shapes how we engage with others, I was trying to figure out how else to say this because Dwight talked all about war last week and I was like, I don't think we're going to talk about war this week. But, um, and that this morning we're going to focus in on how faith shapes how we persevere. We often know what perseverance looks like. It's easy to spot. Like Congolese families, their families, like adoptive families, like people who are in hard marriages, like difficult jobs. Um, like uh, missionaries overseas. We know what it looks like. It can be harder to live out. And if you're anything like me, it's almost as hard to spell. I think I finally have it down after thinking about it and living in it over and over and over this week. (laughs) Thanks for laughing at that joke. Uh, And so this morning, we're going to start by talking about James. And we're going to do something a little bit different this morning because this is my last Sunday and stakes are kind of low, but I want to hear from, <laughs> promise we're not doing anything crazy. I would love to hear from you guys, so you can raise your hand if you're brave enough and tell me something you've learned about James this month or something about who James is. So be brave. This is how adults learn, actually, as they interact. Tell me about James. James is bold. Yep, I love it. Thanks, Robin. Mandy. Um, 
Yes, that James tells us that the gospel is for everyone and that God shows no preference and the good news is the good news to all. And if it's not good news to somebody who's oppressed, then it's actually not good news for the rich either. Thanks, James. Anything else that anybody wants to share about things we've learned about James or who James is? Back there. We are all, sorry, I missed that second part. Yes, we have all been made in the image of God, and God sees us, and there is God in each of us if we've made the decision to follow Jesus. Anything else before I situate us a little bit more in history? Prayer changes things. Yes, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in James 5. But we see that James was a man who prayed, a righteous man. So the book, the letter that James writes, he writes to Jewish Christians scattered throughout the Mediterranean. But what's really fun is that we also learn, we meet James in our Bibles. This is so fun. I'm so excited. Uh, We meet James in Acts 15, um, which is a really interesting place to meet him. We meet him there because he is one of the early church leaders. And what is happening, and these things are happening about the same time. Let me get there. There we go. Acts 15. Um, there's several things happening at the same time. The book of James is likely written about 49 AD, and it's taking time to travel throughout the Mediterranean. At the same time, in between 49 and 50 AD, so after Jesus had come, there's lots of conflict in the early church. You guys wouldn't know anything about that, would you? And what has happened is this, that God's people were originally the Jews. And so they had all these rules and they had this law that they had to uphold that was really clear. It was so clear that you would know who was in and who was out. Except for this Jewish rabbi comes in and he's born and he claims to be the son of man and he throws it all up in the air. And suddenly there's confusion. Do these non-Jewish people these Gentiles, do they still have to uphold the Jewish law? The Jewish law is good. Jesus himself said it was good. But do they have to do the same thing? Do they too, do Gentiles still have to be circumcised? It's an outward sign of an inward change. If we don't have that, how will we know that they're saved? How will we know that they're God's people? And that is where James comes into it. And there are lots of different church leaders all telling little pockets of Christians different things about how we know that we are to be saved and what that will look like. We know that we are saved by grace through faith alone, so none of us can boast about it. But how will we know who's a Christian and who's not? Who's a follower of the way? Who's in and who's out? Sounds kind of like 2023, right? Who's in, who's out, and how do I know? So you've got these early church leaders, some, uh, most of Jewish descent, and they all come to Jerusalem for what's called the Jerusalem Council. And they've got all these questions. And lots of people would love to say, let's fall back on the law. It's easier, it's cleaner, it's simpler. We love being told what the rules are, and then how to enforce them. This is still true now. If you're a parent, you know how easy it is. The gray area is where things get difficult. And so we have that happening in Acts 15. And there's, you know, 
the impassioned speech from Peter, because he's so sweet. Um, but he tells them, like, there should not be the law. Your ancestors couldn't even follow it. And he gives some long text. You should read it. It's really beautiful. And then James steps in. And James says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James says, hey, Peter was right. Not even the Jewish people could actually uphold the law. That's why Jesus came. So why are you trying to bring the Gentiles into these rules that not even the Jewish people could uphold? He goes on to say, instead we should write them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. James is saying this, we are leaders, even of Jewish descent, even me, who grew up in the same home as Jesus. We should not make it any more difficult for people to persevere. If they have turned to Jesus in faith, why are we making this more complicated? It doesn't have to be. Here are some more basic rules for them to follow by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can follow God. And that is where we meet James. And so both the letter of James and his, the Jerusalem Council are happening at about the same time. So it's interesting to look at James 5 then and the entire letter of James through that lens that he is not asking us to do anything more difficult. But he is reminding, and his audience in his letter is to Jewish Christians, so they would have been very familiar with the law. But he's saying that faith bears fruit, but that we shouldn't make it more difficult for people to follow Jesus. Amen? We should not make it more difficult for people to follow Jesus. It is difficult enough to persevere to the end. So let's not make it more difficult. And so I'm going to give you guys some instructions straight from the book of James and throughout scripture on how to persevere. If we are to finish our lives, if we are to do things that are hard, do things that are good, and even do the mundane, how do we do that? So glad you asked me. James tells us that we should ask for help. As Karen said, James, is a, James really lays out what it looks like to pray. Um, and in James 5, he says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If we want to persevere well, church, we must ask for help. And the best way we can ask for help is through praying, which I definitely know I need. I'm not really good at asking for help. If you need a girl who will, like, come to your defense and help you, I'm her. Um, I pick up my phone in the middle of the night, but I'm not good at asking for help. 
And so it's very interesting, contrasted with me, who's also struggled with clinical depression, there have been times when all I could do was ask for prayer. When all I could do was say, hey, Lord, I need help. Or, hey, friend, can you pray for me and also check on me in a couple of days? Prayer is our first line of defense and our best defense. And not just when things are difficult. Prayer is also so important when things are going well. When something goes well, to say, praise the Lord. Because we know that it is from God that all good things come. All good gifts come from our God in heaven. Amen? Thank you. Uh, and so it is good to pray at all times. James is saying, also, bring other people around you and pray. It is never, ever a bad time to pray. Um, as I had walked through a season of difficulty and depression and lots of transitions, as I was actually moving to Cincinnati just over two years ago, I remember I had to redefine what a successful day looked like for me. Because it was like, what if I don't close all the rings on my watch? Or what if I don't have this intense quiet time? Or what if I don't do all these things? And I remember getting really quiet before the Lord and redefining what a successful day looked like. It had three things. It was that I moved my body. It was that I connected meaningful with at least one person. And it was that I talked to God more than I talked to myself. And that one was really hard because I talked to myself a lot. There's this like ongoing monologue almost at all times in my head. And if you're lucky, sometimes you like hear it under my, mouth, under my breath. Thankfully, I have a dog who I talk to now more than I talk to myself. But um, to talk to God, that's the simplest way that we can pray. To say, hey, Lord, that's a really pretty flower you created. It is always a good time to pray. And if we want to persevere, we must continue to pray. The second thing that God gives us as instructions for perseverance is to um, keep practicing the practices. So we learn very early in the book of James that this is written to an audience who is suffering. In fact, the introduction is so simple because there's not need for all these extra things when someone's going through a hard time. It's almost like James is gathering these Christians who are dispersed through the Mediterranean and giving them a big hug. And as he's patting them on the back, he's saying like, it's okay. Don't lose heart. He's also reminding them, though, to keep practicing the practices. That an audience who's experiencing suffering is not exempt from walking in the way of Jesus. It can be so easy when we're in those seasons of survival and when things are really hard to think that we don't have to look outward and don't have to walk in the way of Jesus. I know I'm very guilty of this myself. I like to practice self-care. I love a good bath. Um, and I want to huddle in and watch Netflix a lot when things are hard or play solitaire on my phone. But in fact, James is saying, no, 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 no. Your faith must bear fruit. And there's lots of things that fruitfulness will look like. And we've gotten so much of that. But if we are to persevere well to the end of our lives, we must keep practicing the practices of Jesus. And those include being a good neighbor so don't think for one minute that you're off the hook from engaging with your neighbors when you're going through a difficult time. In fact, 
it is often those difficult seasons where you're able to be vulnerable and raw with people that God uses the most. That when you can lay before them with nothing to offer except for what God has given you, it will be so refreshing to them that, you're, that God's power is made perfect in your weakness. So do not start neighboring. Do not stop neighboring when things are hard. Also, don't stop seeking wisdom. Wisdom from peers and wisdom from the word of God. You are to continue to seek the wisdom above when things get hard. Obviously, I think you know that. But even when things are good, you are to keep seeking out wisdom from above. Being in seasons of suffering, it can be easy to pick fights with people. I know I do. When I get frustrated and if I'm close to you, oh my goodness, I am not the prettiest person. I'm a little ugly. If I love you enough to fight with you, I will fight dirty. Um, and that can happen in seasons of suffering. But James's words to the early church, to these Christians experiencing suffering, are still relevant to us today. That if we want to persevere well, even when we're suffering and even when it's hard, we are to speak well to each other and to wage war against hell and not against one another. We are also to continue to submit ourselves to God, to arrange ourselves under him and not thinking of ourselves as more highly than we ought. Seasons of suffering and perseverance for me can, also, can often make me feel self-righteous, that I am better than other people because I have to suffer for the Lord. James would tell us that that is not appropriate and that is not the way of Jesus. Continue to practice humility in seasons of suffering and when perseverance is required. So I have to confess to you that I, before this sermon, have not really been a fan of James. I find myself mostly in Peter. Um, his exuberance, his boldness, and his reactivity is so familiar to me. I, like, feel him, like, I understand, I want to fight fights on his behalf. I'm like, yeah, Peter. And yet, Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, one of the greatest Christian, or greatest uh, literary books of all time, not Christian, but uh, she says that in order to fully understand someone, you need to get in their skin and crawl around a little bit, which is such a beautiful picture of the incarnation that God would put on skin and walk around in it and to make himself like us in order to be the perfect sacrifice. And so in order to preach this sermon, I have had to crawl into James's body, I feel like. They laughed at me at staff meeting when I said this, so you guys can laugh at me too. But like, I felt like I've had to like crawl in and try it on. And man, it's weird to be a Jewish man. Um, but especially who didn't shower very often. Uh, but as I have sat in James's skin and looked around a little bit, I have realized that in order to persevere well, you have to let Jesus lead you through it. But I have been confronted with a lot of my own sin in this. You see, Jesus would have been James's older brother. 
And let me just tell you, friends, I would have wanted nothing to do with growing up in the same home as as Jesus, and therefore James. Because Jesus would have won every single fight, and he would have done it in the most beautiful, winsome way possible. And you would have never known in this brood of siblings, brothers and sisters, fun fact, the book of Jude, Jude is also one of Jesus' brothers. So we could experiment with that in a little bit. But there were sibling, there were brothers, there were sisters. Jesus is the oldest. They're half-sibling, technically. But you would have never known which sibling rivalry Jesus was going to, like, be on. Which, if you are one of siblings, you know that those sibling allegiances are really important. You need to know who's against who at any point and who you are supposed to side with in order to win the fight and who is going to have your back when it's time. Jesus would have been impossible to nail down because at any point he would have been on the side of the most righteous or the most downtrodden. And there, as I have thought about Jesus as an older brother, I've actually gotten really frustrated with his holiness that I wouldn't have known which way he went. That if I was growing up in the same home as Jesus, I just wouldn't have known what to do with it. I actually would have resented his rightness, his holiness, because he was just so stinking good. He was the most winsome man to have ever lived. He was the most beautiful and the most gentle, and like, I just wouldn't have known. And that's been really interesting because he also would have led me in the most patient and beautiful way possible. And so if we are to persevere to the end of our lives, we must let Jesus be the one who leads us. We must let his holiness lead us to repentance and not to resentment. We must let his gentleness guide us towards gentleness and not let it make us skeptical or frustrated or missing the word in my head. Uh, But we must let his kindness permeate our own bodies and not compensate for it by being mean. We must let Jesus lead the way and be the best older brother he can be. Because he was so good. He was the very best man to have ever lived. And James gets to write his words from a place of understanding that. And for 2,000 plus years, a lot of people have given a lot to follow Jesus because he's just that good. There's a quote that's part of a poem that hangs above my bed. So you've got my life verse, a beautiful painting, and then this quote by a man named C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was a missionary. He was Anglican. He was one of the Cambridge Eight, so there were eight men who then went and took the gospel to places that had not yet been declared. He was one of the first missionaries to China, and then he went on to India and Africa. C.T. Studd advanced the gospel in incredible ways. What's interesting about how he persevered was his story and his faith and the fire underneath his butt really started when his brother died. And he realized that nothing on earth was going to last forever. And so he must take the gospel out. That his life was not his life anymore. His life was for Christ's. And this quote that I love so much, it goes like this. It ends. 
Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, that's what it looks like to persevere. That we get to persevere because of God's great love for us. It isn't that we get to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try to train our way to the end. It is that we get to rest in God's great love for us. So as we wrap up the book of James and I wrap up my time here on staff at City Church, I have three quick things I just want to share with all of you. An exhortation on persevering, if you would let me. I first want to say thank you. Those of you who are at this church even today for the first time, you are part of something that God is doing in this city. And being at a church plant is like loving something that's always changing. And you're trying to love her today and also love her tomorrow and maybe even love her yesterday. It is loving something that is constantly growing and changing. Thank you for loving Jesus enough to love something and love his bride here. It means so much to me over the last two years that you have loved this church and that you have loved me. Also, I know it's been really difficult for those of you who have been here since the beginning and those of you who have only been here a year. Church plant life is very transient. People come and they go and you still stick around and you give and you serve and you start house groups and you leave house groups. It's hard to root yourself someplace. I just want to say I know. I know that it's hard. Um, and for me, part of the thank you, and I know it's been hard, I came to City Church, and guys, I was so sick when I started working here. Um, my body was in a full-out autoimmune flare-up. I actually just printed um, my photo book from 2021, which is the year I started attending City Church and started on staff. And it felt like a trauma trip because <laughs> for everything good, there was also something hard. I bought a sweet little house in St. Bernard and then my dog ate a do-rag and had to have surgery all within the first month. I know, right? I moved to Cincinnati and then the doctor I find here says I have the worst eczema case he has ever seen. In fact, I got my job offer here and one of my best friends came out to me like three days later and his family was in the process of disowning him. Like every single thing that I've had in that year, there was good and there was hard. And so thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving this church. Thank you for loving Jesus through it all. We have persevered together. And the third thing as I wrap up is to say keep trusting the story. Uh, my house group over the last year has uh, fallen in love with maybe a modern-day theologian who reminds us that trusting the story is the best thing we can do because the writer of that story is good. That God and Jesus are far kinder than we ever give them credit for. That to trust in the process and to trust in the story is to keep believing God and giving him the benefit of the doubt. His grace is not going to run out on you. It hasn't run out on anyone. You are not just one mistake away from blowing it big time. 
God deserves the benefit of the doubt, and you can keep trusting the story because the writer of the story is good. And James knew that. James knew that, and you know it too. So would you just keep trusting the story together because the story writer is good. I'm going to finish by reading, and then I'm going to pray. But we're gonna, I'm going to read James 1, 2, 3, and 4 over you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Lord, we just thank you for the gift of persevering. We thank you for the gift of your word we pray that you would guide us in living lives well-lived for the glory of King Jesus. That he, we would keep trusting the story because the story's author is good. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Sunday service. If we can serve you in any way, please visit our website at citychurchotr.com. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in Cincinnati, you can support us financially. Giving can also be done on our website at citychurchotr.com give.